0: Good morning, it is good to see you all this morning. For those of you joining us online, welcome. We are glad that you're with us. We're going to open our time together with scripture from the Psalms. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth. And teach me your laws. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statues are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Lord, we pray as we come together to worship you, that you would be with us. We pray for your spirit to be in this place. Lord, we pray for hearts of joy and hearts of praise. Lord, we pray for our worship team. We pray for Pastor Jason as they lead us in this time. Lord, we love you. We thank you, and we thank you that we can lean on your decrees. Lord, that we can trust you with our very lives. Lord, and we pray that um, in this time we would surrender and worship. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand up as we say what it is we believe together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's join together in worship.
1: You're good.
2: Moments and pray this morning. Um, Psalm 116 says, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my prayer for mercy because he bends down to listen. I will pray as long as I have breath. Let's take a moment and just pray. God, I thank you for this, this building. I thank you that we can come here to seek your face, and to lift your name high. God, I thank you that you are so passionate about us that you bend down to listen to us when we pray. God, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who wants relationship with us, with your people. And I pray for those here today, God, I pray that our hearts would be gripped to pursue a deeper relationship with you. Lord God, like the psalmist says in that Psalm 116, I saw only trouble and sorrow, and I called on the name of the Lord. Please, Lord, save me. How kind the Lord is, how good he is. So merciful, this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. God, there's some here that only see trouble and sorrow right now. And I pray that your goodness and mercy would flow deep in their lives and their hearts. God, for those that need freedom from sin that's entangling and wrapping around them or from addiction that plagues them or the fear that consumes them, or the life struggles that are breaking their hearts. God, we pray your Holy Spirit transformative work to be done in their lives. Lord, you are good, Lord. Lord, right now I lift up Pastor Jerry to you. Lord God, I pray that you would touch him where he's at. Lord God, let your power and your healing overflow in his body. Lord, God, that you would do only what you can do and that you would be glorified. Lord, I pray for the families that were here two weeks ago for VBS. Lord, I pray for the the kids, the parents that dropped them off, the grandparents that dropped them off. Lord, God, I pray that it wouldn't just be what happened here, but it would be a trickle effect in all of their families. Lord, that they would just come to know you Lord God, and the seed that was planted would grow roots down deep. I pray for the VBS leaders. Lord God, that as they poured out, Lord God, that you would speak into their lives and pour into their lives tenfold. I pray, Lord, for those serving you in ministry, that we would not grow weary, Lord God, but we would have a renewed passion for you and your people. And I just pray that this building, Faith Discovery, is a beacon for the community. We love you and we worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Take a moment and greet somebody this morning.
3: My microphone on? Yeah, you can hear me? Oh, like you couldn't hear me anyway. Mm-hmm. People can't hear me, said no one ever. Uh, we're so glad that you're here this morning. If you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at Faith Discovery Church, and it is an honor that you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning with us. Uh, just have a few announcements, things we want to make you aware of that's happening in and around our church, but. Uh, in terms of feedback and those kinds of things, these are the fun things that happen after VBS. All of the EQs have been thrown all over the place and so, uh, our tech team's doing a great job back there. I really appreciate you guys, uh, and all you're doing, uh, to make church, the, our church experience better. Uh, couple of announcements as I said. First, if you're new with us in your, in the row in front of you or, um, maybe in a bulletin, that you were handed on your way in. Uh, if you would... Uh... Go to our information center. It's right in the cafe lobby over there. And we'd love to meet you. Find out your name. Find out how you heard about our church. We want to do our best to serve you in any way possible. And the best way for us to do that is to meet you. And if you go there, we've got a free gift for you. So please stop by and uh, do that. If you want to scan the QR code, uh, that's a way for you to uh, fill out that information as well. But we'd love to meet you and give you a gift. This Friday night, uh, uh, our 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 women are having their uh, women's group. It's at 7 o'clock, right? I don't go to that. So shocking. But uh, I think it says 7. I don't, my glasses. Yes, uh, it's Friday night, 7 o'clock in the cafe. Uh, so if you are a, a woman and you'd like to be part of community, that's what, by the way, that's what makes church best, this community. Church works best when we're all here together. And so small groups like men's group, women's group, those kinds of things enhance our faith journey and help us to walk through things together. So I encourage you to be there Friday night. Uh, after church today, Gary, who is a Around, I would oh there he is Gary's uh right there uh is looking for some help to uh deconstruct the canopy out right outside the, the the doors by the parking lot it will take about seven minutes if all of us help if if I'll be honest with you I'm probably not going to help but if all of you help but uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, all of us help me to go light. We'll, we'll put this stuff away, and my, my kids are booing me right now. This is why Joy says Jason should never do announcements because I go off the cuff, and uh, and then it's bad. Um, really, what I want, really, the real reason I wanted to do announcements today is because I wanted to thank you as your pastor. Um, Your generosity and your faithfulness to our church makes a difference. And this summer, uh, a lot of people are on vacation. We have people on vacation today, which is great. If you have a vacation plan, you should enjoy that. Go on vacation. My family. Actually, the reason I'm not going to help put up the canopy is because right after church, we're uh, we're going away for a week, and so um, we're going to sneak out. But uh, church, uh, your summer should family time should be a, absolutely be a part of your summer. But when you're home. I really appreciate the faithfulness of your presence and the faithfulness of your generosity to our church. It's your generosity that helps us do things like uh, the incredible week of VBS that we got through a week ago last Sunday. Let's pretend this is last Sunday, and we didn't experience flooding. Um, but uh, we had an incredible week of VBS. Uh, we've had multiple churches call us and say, how do you do it? And... Typically, we don't judge them that they're calling us two weeks before their VBS. But it's a year-long process. We have already started planning and thinking about VBS in 2024. And uh, it's a huge thing that happens in our church. But it happens because of your faithfulness and for your generosity. And so I encourage you. When you, It's summertime. There's a lot of things that you could say yes to. Say yes to being at church. Church is better when you're here. And we want to thank you for being here. And uh, with that, I want to bring up Laura. Laura is our VBS director. Could you give it up for uh, Laura? I'm gonna, um, so before you talk, I'm going to – this is a card for you. Um, VBS is incredible at our church. Um, and VBS would be great at our church. But without your leadership, it wouldn't be anything near what it is. And so um, for the literal hours, blood, sweat, tears that you pr- bring to this, uh, really for the passion that you care so deeply about people, about young kids learning about Jesus. I thank you, our church thanks you, and uh, yeah, share with us a little bit about what happened a week and a half ago. Thank
1: you.
0: Well, thank you. That's sweet. I do just want to share a couple things because we've had a fun video, and that's more fun than listening to me. So we had about 90 kids that we welcomed through the week, over 40 volunteers, um, volunteers um, from the ages of like 13 to 70 something. So we have a wide variety of volunteers that come and run around with those kids outside. Um, we were able to participate in a missions giving to World Vision um, through collection of funds. Um, we are going to be able to purchase 35 Bibles for people who do not have Bibles translated in their own language. So that was our mission um, for this week. So we were able to participate in that. Um, but more so, those are the numbers. Um but more than the numbers, um, the kids learned that this week that Jesus came to be our light. And because he came to be the light of the world, that no matter what happens in our lives, because we have the strength of Jesus within us, we can share that light with others. So that was our theme for the whole week. So that no matter if, light gets, if life gets dark, if... All right, go ahead, leaders. If people don't get along... When good things happen, even when people are sad, and when people need help, we can shine Jesus light. It sticks with, see, even these old people, it sticks with us. So for the kids, it really sticks with them. So that was the theme for our week, and I just wanted to say thank you because I talk about this for a long time, and I just wanted to say how grateful we are as a team and how grateful I am for all of you who gave and prayed and donated and participated um, to make this a wonderful week. So here's a little recap, and I hope you enjoy it. And it's going to be a little loud, I think, so we can have some fun. <laughs>
1: I'm <laughs>
4: going to say, children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Is this the wrong time? No, this is the right time. I saw a meme this week on Facebook. Maybe you've seen it. It, it talked about the sound of children running around the sanctuary, screaming and yelling and making noise. And then it said, the only thing worse than that is silence. We don't want silence. We want the sound of those beautiful voices. Yes. Can you agree with me? Amen. Amen. I love it. I love it. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a song we've never sang before as a congregation. Sometimes when we do those songs, people feel left out. I want you to know that you can worship whether you know the words or not. That may be the incredibly obvious, but, you know, I've been in the church. I've been thinking about it today since 1967. I'm old. I'm old. What can I tell you? That's a long time. And sometimes I really need to be reminded of the incredibly obvious. It's not a crime. Just focus your mind on him. Praise him from your heart, whether with your voice Mind, your body, lift your hands, pray.
3: praise you today. We are here, uh, not out of religious requirement, but God, we're here to worship you. We're here to experience your presence. God, we believe that you want to have an active part in our lives, both individually and collectively. And so as a church this morning, we come and we praise you. We worship you. We honor you. God, I pray that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing to you today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, I think um, we're going to start. I'm going to share in just a second. But I think this is the first time since I've been here I've I've preached in just a t-shirt. I'm wearing my BBS t-shirt and we have several people around the room who are wearing them. And we did take a second to honor Laura, but there are several people in the room who gave up of their time, their dedication, their also blood, sweat and tears. I mean, the amount of staples and pins that go through people's fingertips as they redo this place. It looks crazy good on the stage. We had we had gravity defying spacemen floating on the stage. It was awesome. But down here pales in comparison to what the people do up in those rooms up there. And so uh, lots of people around. And so just as your pastor. Thank you. I'm proud to be a church that, that makes a priority about, ta- uh, about reaching and prioritizing the next generation. And I'm proud to be part of a group of people that goes above and beyond. I mean, the amount of things that people do and sacrifice to make VBS happen and to make Awana happen and make youth happen, to prioritize the young people in our church is inspiring to me. And so all of you who take part in that, thank you. Thank you very much from, from me. Check out this video. Okay, just to clarify, a couple of you have asked me. That Ten Commandments thing at the beginning where Mel Brooks is saying ten. It is a clip from History of the World Part One where he says 15 commandments and he drops one of the bricks and then he says ten. Yes, it's from that movie. No, this is not an endorsement of that movie. Uh, just want to clarify. But uh, good morning. Thank you so much for being here. If you're joining us online, thank you for being here. And a special welcome to PJ. I know where you are right now. PJ's in the hospital if you didn't know. Keep him in prayer. But he is definitely tuning in, and uh, we love you, and we're thinking of you, and we're praying for you. So uh can't wait to see you back here next Sunday. Uh, if you uh, This morning we are continuing our, ser- our, our summer series called The Sinai Experience. And if you're new with us, or maybe you haven't been with us for a while, let me give you some context. Since the beginning of July, we've been looking up, uh, at the Israelites' experience out Mount Sinai. And if you aren't aware of that story, that's okay. That's the story in the Bible. Mount Sinai is the place that God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. Uh, many other things happened at Sinai, uh, which is why we 're not calling this this series the ten commandments we 're calling this the Sinai experience uh, because there 's more than just those ten things but we 're certainly focusing most of our attention this summer to the ten words the bible doesn 't ever actually call them commandments; it calls them the ten words, and so uh, we 're focusing on those words that God gave to Moses, which would be the foundation for how Israel would function as as a nation. Two weeks ago we looked at the first commandment. Worship no one but Yahweh. As part of the study I propose that this command is, is, basically, is comprised of three separate ideas that come out of the beginning of Exodus chapter 20. First from chapter 2 it says I am Yahweh your God. The, the second and the third components of that come from verses three through six. You must have no other gods, and you must not make an image. The first part, "I am your way, your God," provides a rationale for limiting worship to Yahweh. When when we when we define that we will worship no other god but Yahweh, we're not saying there are no other gods. This was a polytheistic world. There was all kinds of gods that they worshipped. But Yahweh was proclaiming to be the God, the only God worthy of their worship. And so he proposed that they worship him alone as a re, uh, as a response. As a response, they're worshipping out of a response to being freed from generations of slavery in Egypt. And so uh, because of God's goodness, because of God's redemptive powers, because of his ability to bring the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of bad, into good, he is worthy to be worshipped. And then he says, uh, the next two components are, are in tandem. No image the idea of no image it belongs together with no other gods see in in the ancient world worship and images went hand in hand it would not have been possible in most people's mind to accurately or or, or truly or uh, correctly worship a deity without an image just it was as it would have been nonsensical to produce an image that you didn't want to worship Uh, The point of images was worship, and the means of worship was images. And Yahweh comes and changes that whole equation. It's one of the times where God says, not only is life's totally different now. This is a paradigm shift. The way you think life goes about it is totally different than the way I'm going to lead you from here on out. And so God changes the equation from us producing images that we worship and says, You are the image of me whom you should worship. There is no way we can accurately depict God in an image more than God has depicted himself in an image in us. And so we don't produce images, we don't make shiny objects that we worship. We worship him. And so that's that's the basis of where we are. That's the first commandment. The second commandment the, that we'll look at today. I, uh, and I'm guessing that some things that I propose about this second command, just like in the first command, will be different than it's been presented to you in the past. I'm not saying you've heard it wrong. I incorrectly said a couple weeks ago that I thought some people were wrong. What I'm really presenting is a different perspective of views on the, on the, on the Ten Commandments. And so today I'm gonna present a perspective, a different paradigm, a different way of looking at it. And I hope that it's different than maybe you've heard in the past, and I'm really hopeful that it may challenge you in some way. Many of you know that I grew up, uh, the child of a pastor. What what we typically will call a PK. That's, That's common vernacular in pastor kid language. We talk, you can say you're a PK to another PK, and immediately you're on the same wavelength in a bunch of different ways. And so I grew up a PK, but my dad also grew up a PK. There's a, my dad is a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor so there there does seem to be some kind of generational thing that's happening here uh, in our family but uh, some of you know my father. You've seen him. He's been here before. Um, and those of you who know him, who've talked to him, you can attest, you'll you'll, you'll affirm what I'm going to say about my dad. My dad is a storyteller. My dad likes to tell stories. Maybe he's watching today, hopefully not, So I talk about him a little bit. My dad likes to tell stories, and since I've been around him all of my life, uh, I've heard him tell stories all of my life, and some of his stories I've heard on repeat. You know, as if I'm listening to Spotify and you just hit that little repeat button because you love the song. Well, my dad, I don't have the option. I just get to hear some of the stories over and over and over and over and over again. One story that my dad has repeatedly told us is about when he got his license. My dad grew up in Lowell, Massachusetts, in an inner city place, and they lived in in. uh he had lived there since he was maybe five or six years old. And so by the time he gets his license, they've lived there for several years ago, for several years. Two weeks ago, I told you about um, when I was training my oldest son uh, to drive and how about my concerns about his abilities. If you were here, you heard me talk a little bit about that. Well, um, according to my dad, if, if, if his stories are accurate, his father... Grandfather. Now, that was his name. We called my grandfather, Grandfather. If that doesn't give you a sense of how proper he wanted his structured life to be. But my grandfather had different concerns for my dad than I had for my son in terms of driving. Uh, at least according to the stories, anytime my dad would drive my grandfather's car, grandfather, when handing him the keys, would remind him that his reputation went with his car. People in town knew my grandfather. He'd been the pastor of that church for a long time. And they knew his car. They didn't necessarily know who was driving the car at that moment. So if my father parked that car in a place that was not appropriate, it affected the way people viewed my grandfather. And my grandfather was very concerned about that. His testimony was on the line. And so uh, my father could potentially sully my grandfather's reputation, and that was not going to end well in their conversations. In those moments, my grandfather was telling my father that when he drove the car, he represented his father, and that he should take that very seriously. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 7 today. Exodus 20, verse 7 says, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Like many of you, I grew up with the understanding that misusing the Lord's name, or as we commonly refer to it, taking the Lord's name in vain was using Jesus or God inappropriately in a sense and maybe even as a swear word. Uh, And what I'm going to propose today is a new way to look at that idea. But let me be very clear. It is never advisable or proper to use God's name as a swear word. It's a good place for us to start. Dishonoring God in any way is wrong. I said two weeks ago that that this message, this commandment that we're talking about today, this idea that I'll present this morning, has been stirring in me for a year. This has really been the basis of this whole series, this whole project, all the research. Uh, about a year ago, I heard a podcast with uh, a, an author of a book called "Bearing God's Name: Why Sinai Still Matters" by a person named Carmen Joy Imes. And um, I was going to last week when we were going to have this, when I was going to preach this, I had that book with me, but now it's in my suitcase, ready to get on an airplane. So you just gonna have to pretend I'm holding it up for you. But it's called "Why Sinai Still Matters." Bearing God's name. Uh, it's been the primary resource for this summer series. And w- when I heard her talking about this com- uh, this commandment on this podcast, of, on the Bible Project, I was so taken by her take on it that I began what has now been like a year-long exercise of prayer and study and thought and even writing about it. And I'm convinced that I agree with, with her, what she says, and that most of us have maybe misunderstood or not fully understood the weight of this commandment. We'll call it the name command. You see, when you explore, when you look a little bit more deeply in this, and you have to go back to the Hebrew to do it, you get a new translation. The, the ancient Hebrew, the, the original translation says, you must not bear, in parentheses you could say, or carry, The name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. For Yahweh will not hold guiltless, one who bears or carries his name in vain. At at Sinai, God instructs his people not to bear his name in vain. Keeping that command, then, involves much more than just not saying, Oh, Yahweh. Get the joke. It's like a grenade. You'll get that in a second. It's not saying, oh, Yahweh, when someone cuts in front of us on a freeway or a disgruntled swearing of the Lord's name when bad things happen like the Yankees win or our team loses. Keeping the command not to bear Yahweh's name in vain changes everything about the way we live, not just about the way we talk. The name command, as we will call it, is that we are to represent Yahweh well. That's the second command. The first one is worship, no one but Yahweh. The second one is represent Yahweh well. Let me explain how we get to this, uh, how, how we've gone through this. Because throughout history, translation, uh, translators have often decided that there's something in the Hebrew that doesn't make sense. There's a word that seems to be missing. Because it, it says you should not bear Yahweh's name in vain. But that means carry. And a name is not something you carry. And so for, for, a lot of translators. There's been you carry something that is uh, uh, has significance, not a word, and so they've oftentimes throughout history we've implemented a different word into the thing, so that we've made it about language. And the idea has almost been like maybe um, it's it's um, uh, like a like a, an oath when you raise your right hand and you swear to something. Maybe maybe that's it. Or maybe it's the idea, maybe their idea was because it's, when we say it, it's almost like his name is being lifted on our lips. And so we're, is there the idea? Somehow verbally, what's the idea of what, uh, what it means to carry? But if you look just a couple chapters later, in Exodus 28, it gives us another example of how to bear the name of something. In Exodus chapter 28, where uh, the, the... All right, I'm going to be honest. Sometime, sometimes monotonous reading of how to build the tabernacle. If you've read through the second half of, half of Exodus, or you've read through Leviticus, sometimes you're like, What? Like, it talks about how to intricately make the tent posts and how to sew the, the garments. And it, it's not on your daily devotion. You're like, I'm going to get something out of this. And he says, put the grommet in one inch off of the top. And you're like, what? God really cares about the details. But in Exodus chapter 28, he, God gives to Moses instructions on how the high priest is to dress when they're on duty. I am so thankful I get to be a pastor when I can wear this. Unfortunately, through some kind of crazy abusive system, Not throughout history has everybody been able to be in hey dudes and a t-shirt when they are leading the people. So in ancient Israel, the high priest had a very specific outfit, and it's depicted in Exodus chapter 28. And in Exodus chapter 28, it starts with something called an ephod, which is really a like a, a long vest. It's a sleeveless garment. And, and God details that on the ephod, laced into the shoulders, should be two gems. And on the gems, it should have etched into the gems the names of the tribes of Israel. And then there's the next thing it talks about is a breastplate. And on that breastplate, there's now 12 stones. And, and sewn into the garment is these 12 stones. And on the, the stones is etched, on each one, a different tribe of the name of Israel. And so when the high priest is on duty, when he's serving in his function, when he's doing his act of worship to God, he's bearing the names of all of Israel. He is in in fact very literally representing all of Israel to God by holding and bearing their names. That's the idea of bearing Yahweh's name. Aaron also bears one other name, he wears a headband. Picture Karate Kid, Daniel LaRusso. Except instead of the Karate Kid tree, he has Yahweh's name on his forehead. And he bears Yahweh's name to Israel. He he carries it. He wears it. And when he wears it, he represents God. In Exodus 19, when Israel first arrived at Sinai, God bestows on his people titles like treasured possession, kingdom of priests, holy nation. Israel is God's treasured possession. And what he does, what he defines at Sinai is he says, Israel, you are to represent God to the rest of humanity. Israel's role was to represent God from the very start of Israel being a thing. When God makes this covenant with Abraham, what's the covenant say? I'm going to bless you and through you, through your family, who's Abraham's family, Israelites, I'm going to bless all of the nations. Right from the very beginning of God's interaction before Israel was a thing, his plan was to bless the world through them. And so now that they've become a nation, he's preparing them to have a land to go to live and to function as a society and he's saying when you're there what I need you to do is live differently represent me to the world my name is on you where you go people will see me At Sinai, Yahweh claims the nation of Israel as his very own, and he releases them to live out in their calling. And their calling is to bear Yahweh's name. The, it's, and so the the second word, the second commandment, to, to represent Yahweh well. Combined with that first one, to worship only Yahweh, sets up the Base the the foundation for the rest of the mosaic covenant. The mosaic covenant is what we call the ten commandments. It's the inner, it's the agreement, it's the covenant between the Israelites led by Moses and God. And the rest of the ten commandments flow from this covenant formula established by these two commands. Fleshing out covenant faithfulness looks like. Uh, What what covenant faithfulness looks like in every conceivable manner of life, work, family, covenant, marriage, property, reputation. All of that happens from 3 through 10, based on the foundation of what's built in 1 and 2. It's been said that the Ten Commandments are like the Bill of Rights. However, the Bill of Rights in the United States Constitution focuses on a person's right our own, we know our rights because of the Bill of Rights. We know them. Some of us know some more than others. But we've heard we have the right to assemble. We're here today. We have the right to be together today. The difference between the Ten Commandments and the Bill of Rights, there's several. But one of them, a chief one, is the Bill of Rights will tell you what, how to protect your rights. The Ten Commandments are set up so that you protect your neighbor's rights. Everything in this, in this model is built to be outward focused towards other people. The job of every Israelite was to protect other people's freedoms. And we do that by keeping the commandments. Just like my dad, when using his dad's car, had to be mindful of his choices. So the Israelites had to be mindful of their choices. The name command is not just a language command as much as it is an ethical command. God cares deeply about how we live morally and ethically in this world. God called the Israelites to be holy, to be different, to treat people differently, to treat them in a way that represents Him and how He feels about the world. Now, let me tell you how I grew up. That God, I, I grew up thinking, and I'm sure some of you have felt this way too, that God cares very deeply. And, And uh, about my moral and ethical choices, because he's wanting me—he's wanting to find out when I'm wrong. He's looking for when I mess up, because there's about a bunch of rules, and it's about what we're not supposed to do. And as soon as we don't do it, then we can deal with the punishment that we rightfully deserve. Hogwash. Our moral and ethical choices matter not because God's looking to punish us. The the penalty of our sin has been paid. When you come to Christ, when you receive Him, your sins, past, present, future, they're taken care of. They're already taken, they're paid for. There's no need for any more transaction. What the Ten Commandments do, what we, what happens is we represent God to the world. So it's not about us doing something wrong, it's about us doing something right. It's about us being different. We treat people differently because when we do, they see something different about us. Can you sound a little passionate about this? Ooh, calm down, Jason. When we, make choices, when we make choices that are motivated by self-preservation, self-promotion, and things like anger, greed, and envy, we sully the reputation of the one whose name we bear. Aren't you a Christian? We've heard those words in judgment before. The reality is the world is begging for us to act like a Christian. And so when we make choices that are motivated by God's priorities and they look like service, generosity, sacrifice, concern for the other, love for the other, we create curiosity about, which the, about the name that we carry and people are like, mystified by it. Why are we to be different? People cannot ask us why we're different if we don't act differently than the world acts. But we bear God's name. It's like a brand. We're his possession. He takes pride in us. And so we represent him in a world out of an, out of a saying out of a grateful heart that says thank you for what you've done for me. You've delivered me from slavery you've brought me freedom you've given me life and so because of that i want to worship you and the way i worship you is to treat others better to live out the rest of the mosaic commands so let me offer you some takeaways we're gonna go first it's all about god it's not about me When I make it punitive towards myself, when I start to feel guilty for my choices, I make it about me. It's not about me. It's about God. My stuff's paid for. I make choices. I make choices that reflect God's character in the world to honor him and to represent him well. And when I don't do that, he forgives me. That's a different one, right? Right? That's not the one we're used to. Because we, when we engage with each other and we fail each other, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is easy with Jesus. Sometimes it's, harder, it's hard for us to receive it. But he gives it freely. In fact, he gave his life so you could have it. He's dying for people. Well, that was kind of subtle. Jesus, is, Jesus died for people to receive freedom. That's how much it means to him. It's all about God. And so the way we live with others is all about God. Yeah, but that person was rude to me. Yep. Show the love of Jesus to him. But I don't like that person. Yep. Show the love of Jesus to him. It's how we worship God, the way we were with others. And... It's the way we live with others, and it's the way we worship God. It's all about God. Our focus is about representing him well. When he brings the Israelites to Sinai and engages with them and builds a relationship with them, he's saying, you bear my name. You have the ability to change the world. If You'll just live a life that prioritizes others over yourself. Second. As Christians, we should be known for who we worship, not for what we do or don't do. For many people, some of us, Christianity is defined by rules, actions, do's and don'ts. Christianity isn't about what we do or don't do. It's it's about who we worship. Now, does the what we do or don't do matter? Uh Uh-huh. It's just not first. Who we worship is Jesus. As a result of him, we start to, he changes our hearts, and we start to make choices that reflect his character in the world. Do, does it, well, if I love Jesus, does it matter what I do? Yes. Doesn't mean Jesus won't love you, but it matters what you do. Because we're called to represent him well. Will he stop loving us if we don't? Nope. But we're called to represent him well. Every one of us as image bearers, our goal, our job, why we were put here is to represent him to the rest of humanity. And we do that by the way we act, the way we love, and the way we care, and the way we serve. And so what we do matters. Our character and our choices are important to God. Now, this is where my grandfather and God diverge a little bit. My my grandfather was concerned what people would think about him with that car. My God is concerned with my choices and my character because when I live in a way that honors him, our relationship fosters. But when I make choices that don't reflect him, I build walls between me and him. And it's harder for me to represent him to the world when I'm not living his moral and ethical choices. Does that make sense? I can use all the words I want. Words are shallow if they're not represented by the way I am. If all I do is don't take his name in vain but I don't represent him well, I am falling short of the thing he called me to. The job of Ezra, this is the last one, then we're done. We're going to have communion together. The job of every Israelite was to protect other people's freedoms. So who protects yours? The person next to you. It's about us living. Why is it important that we go to church together so we can sit in these beautiful orange pews? They're beautiful. If you don't love them, just come more. You will fall in love with them eventually. No, because the person next to us needs us to care about them. Because they're spending their time caring about the next person. And we serve each other as a community. That's the way God built it. And then he said, go live that way in a world. And they'll be they'll be so amazed, mind blown by the difference. That you don't try to make your life better. That you don't build on your kingdom, but you prioritize other people. And it will shock them. By the time we get to the New Testament, James and Peter are saying, if you live this way to people who hate you, they'll have no way, no no other reasonable response than to be attracted to the way you live. God set a standard in Eden of how we could communicate and live with each other. And we busted it. And so he made a new way for us. And it's fulfilled in Christ, but it's established at Sinai. How we represent him matters. Would you pray with me? Jesus, how I so desire to represent you well. God, I pray that my life, but not just my individually, my life as a member of this church... That our interaction would be one that we would be, that it would be irresistible to others to not see you shining through us. your name we pray. Amen. Doc's going to come and he's going to lead us in communion. Um, I'm not going to set it up for you, Doc. You just go.
5: I'm going to go off script here. Of course, when you say those words, pastors usually go, oh, brother. You You heard our pastor say that he's going to be gone for a week on vacation. So would you stand with me and we're going to pray for him and his family. Reach out towards him if you would. Our Father and our God, we just now entrust Jason and his family into your care. We ask, Lord, that you would bless their flight to and from. We ask that you would give him rest. And we pray, Lord, that as he has a week to focus on family, that you would draw them even closer together. And so now we entrust him into your care, Lord, knowing that you have his very best in mind. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, you can be seated. As I mentioned the last time that I served communion, it's only the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that describe the supper part of the final meal. But John alludes to it in a section of his gospel, which is found in chapters 13 through 17, most often referred to as the upper room discourse. And I believe such a reference to be significant because of what occurs in chapter 13, wherein Jesus washes the disciples' feet. When he is finished, he tells them that he has set them an example And that just as he washed their feet, they should wash each other's feet. It seems to me that in many interactions with Jesus, there is often a reciprocity involved. Sometimes it's a very clear and direct statement, like to wash each other's feet. Sometimes it's more of an indirect reference. But when we come to communion, we often concentrate on our reception of Jesus' body and blood. But what I've come to believe is that this simple act of communion indeed requires a simple response. He presents himself to us, and we present ourselves to him. In Paul's words... We offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is our reasonable worship. And so as you come forward this morning to receive the elements of communion, when you return to your seats, I'd ask you to turn your eyes on the Lord and in response simply say, Lord, I am ready to do your will. Would the servers please come? Thank you. We serve an open communion. What that means is if you know Jesus Christ and your Lord and Savior, you don't have to be a member of this church. You're a member of the church. And you are more than welcome. Welcome. Come on down now and receive the elements. And so the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, as we receive your body into our body, we also present our bodies to you as our reasonable worship, ready to do your will. Consecrate us, Lord, for service to you. Shall we eat the bread together? Join me now in standing, if you would. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world thank you for the new covenant by which there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Shall we drink of the cup? And now receive the benediction of the Lord. May the God of peace